Welcome, welcome everyone to Reading Through the Bible with Elder Linda. So glad you joined me. Uh, we have a good lesson today uh, here on the channel. If this is your first time joining us, we read the scriptures together. We make sure we understand it and then we make application to our lives. And I post a new video by Wednesday of every week. So, you know, glad you joined me. And if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Read Through the Bible with Elder Linda, every time I post a new video, you'll be notified. Um, but if you have any comments or questions, just want to make sure everybody knows that you can um, uh, ask your questions or comments under the comment section on Facebook or under the comment section on the YouTube channel. But last week we've um, we finished chapter 16 of Matthew, where we talked uh, we talked a little bit more about hearing God's voice. We also talked about how the church is invincible. Uh, the gates of hell uh, shall not prevail against the church. How the church uh, could not be overcome. We also talked about the keys of the kingdom and how Jesus is our master key. That when we accepted him into our hearts, he unlocked the doors to the kingdom for us. And uh, the Holy Spirit is yet and continually to unlock doors for us, giving us the keys to the kingdom. And, and we talked about the keys uh, being truths to the kingdom that he's unlocking. Amen. We also talked about Jesus predicting his death for the first time in chapter 16. Uh, and then we talked about um, our rewards. And yes, we're going to get rewards for what we're doing on this earth. We talked about how we're not doing what we do to get a, to get a reward, but we do what we do because we love him. And because we love him and he is going to reward us for whatever we do. Amen. Uh, so today we're going to be on chapter 17 and we're going to be starting to read from verse one from the King James Version of the Bible. Let's just say a word of prayer as we begin. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray for uh, those that were involved in the earthquake, Lord, the ongoing trauma that they're going through, oh God, I just pray that you would help them, each family. Lord, you know them all by name, that you would comfort them as only you can. Holy Spirit, we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for everyone that's listening to this lesson on tonight, those that will listen. Father, open our ears, sharpen our understanding. Open our eyes that we might see you, oh God. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to know you more. Bless our time together. And Holy Spirit, come in and be the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So amen. Um, we're going to start Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. It says, starting verse 1, it says, And after six days... And we're just going to read down verse 1 through verse 13, talking about the transfiguration. So and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. Transfigured means he was transformed. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto, him, unto them Moses, and Elias, as Elijah, same as Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said, unto, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. 
If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Now, I don't want to read this over this too fast. They, they are up on a mountain right now, and Jesus has been totally transfigured, transformed, changed right in front of their very eyes. And not only has he changed, but now Moses, who is supposed to be dead, and Elias, who, Elijah, who's supposed to be dead, appeared before him. So Peter, James, and John is seeing all this. So you can imagine, you know, what they must feel like. Verse five, while he yet spake, because Peter was saying, uh, let us, let me make some booths for all three of you, tabernacles. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came, sore means they were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. So Elijah and Moses have, have, are gone now. Verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So don't tell anybody until I'm resurrected. Verse 10, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah surely, truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you, that Elijah is come already. And they knew him not but have done unto him whatsoever they listed or whatever they wanted to do to him. Likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them. Son of man, he's talking about himself. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Now, before we started at verse 17, we, should, we really should review verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 28, where it says, Jesus said at the end of that chapter, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We mentioned that briefly last week. And we mentioned that uh, this might have been referring to what was about to happen in chapter 17, which is the transfiguration. And so uh, in verse 1 through 3, let's... Let's review some of this. In verse 1 through 3, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And it doesn't tell us here in Matthew, but in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 28, it tells us that Jesus took them up in the mountain to pray. So they went there to pray. And there was, and there he was changed, Jesus, right before their eyes. It said his face was shining like the sun and his clothes were like light. So he, that he literally went through a transformation right in front of them. Moses and Elijah also appeared on the mountain to talk with Jesus. And keep in mind, Moses and Elijah are both dead. Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind and Moses uh, died and disappeared in the mountain. They don't know where his, they never found his body. Uh, but according to Luke chapter 9 verse 30, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were all talking about Jesus' death. So in verse, uh, well, just, just a little note about Peter, James, and John. Uh, Peter, James, and John, you're going to find as you read through the Gospels, became 
uh, kind of known as Jesus' inner circle. He took them, those three, with him uh, on a lot of uh, his, his journeys and a lot of places he had to go. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 37, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him further into the Garden of Gethsemane when he was agonizing. He had all his disciples with him. He told the bulk of the disciples, okay, y'all stay here. And then he took Peter, James, and John a little further. Uh, so he, you know, they're like the inner circle. And then another time in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, when he resurrected Jairus' daughter, he took Peter, James, and John with him in the room to resurrect uh, Jairus' daughter. So they're like the little nucleus. And um, so we can take note of that. There's nothing wrong with having a nucleus or having a few people that you can relate to or that you can share your deepest thoughts and deepest feelings with because Jesus had one, okay? In verse four, in the middle of all this greatness, I want you to notice in verse four how Peter says, now here he's seeing Jesus' garments change. He's, he's, he's lit up. His clothes change. His face is shining. He's seeing Moses and Elijah standing there. They were afraid. They were scared. So he, Peter had nothing better to say. He couldn't think of anything better to say, but well, maybe we should make a house for you. You know, he, poor Peter, he out, you know, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot, but he was just nervous and didn't know what to say. So he said that. And we know he said that in Mark chapter nine, verse six, it says, Peter didn't know what else to say because he was so scared. But right in the middle of Peter saying this about making a house for Moses and Elijah, which of course they didn't need because they're, you know, they're in a spirit form. They didn't need that. Verse five through nine says, God speaks from the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. So then the three, Peter, James, and John fell on their face and they were afraid. They were petrified until Jesus came over and tapped them on the shoulder and told them it was okay and don't be afraid. And then when they went back down off the mountain, he told them not to tell anybody until after his resurrection. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. In verse 10 through 13, it says, the disciples asked about Elijah. This is after they came down off the mountain. Uh, they asked about the uh, fact that Elijah is supposed to come first before the Messiah comes. And maybe they asked because they just saw Elijah on the mountain. And Jesus let them know that Elijah has already come. And Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. But they did not recognize him. And they killed him just as they will kill me. So Jesus is letting them know that uh, even though when John the Baptist was asked, they asked John, um, I can't put, my, uh, put the scripture on it right now, but they asked John if he was Elijah and he said no. So technically John was not Elijah, but he represented Elijah because he was coming to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the way for the Lord. And so, according to Jesus, that was Elijah coming. That was the prophet going before him. In Malachi 4, 5, it's prophesied that Elijah must come first before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, according to the Quest Study Bible, what happened on the mountain was actually aligning Jesus with the law and with the prophets. With the law, representing Moses, and with the prophets represented by Elijah. So what we see is a, a complete picture portrayed. Uh, the law came to show us that 
We needed Jesus. We couldn't keep all those rules and regulations without Jesus. So the law was pointing at Jesus, showing us, okay, uh, this is what you're supposed to look like. And we failed miserably with keeping all those laws, which let us know we need a savior. And then the prophets prophesied of his coming for years. Prophet after prophet was uh, prophesying about Jesus. He who is the answer to our sin problem. The law pointed to him. The prophets pointed to him. Well, now Jesus is here in the flesh. He's here. The long-awaited Messiah. Let's talk a little bit more about that transfiguration. We want to look up some of those words. Um, talk about some of those words that we looked up. But transfigured means, in the Strong's Concordance, it means change, transformed, metamorphosis. This is what the word transfigured means. Because in verse 2 it says, and he was transfigured before them. So he was changed. He was transformed. He, he went through a metamorphosis. And when you look up the word metamorphosis, metamorphosis is the process of transforming or changing from an immature form to an adult form. Let me say that again. Metamorphosis is the process of transforming or changing from an immature form to an adult form. And an example of a metamorphosis, a metamorphosis would be like the, how the caterpillar turns into a butterfly, completely changes. Another definition says it's a change, metamorphosis, a change of form, of nature, of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. Now, I looked up the word supernatural because I'm be honest with you, because of all the stigma and the, the crazy things that people do with the supernatural, and we even have a, a crazy uh, show on, on television called The Supernatural where there's little weird things and the demons and stuff are on that program. So I think it's kind of made us uh, back away from that word supernatural. But supernatural really means some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. So if something is supernatural, it's a force that is beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. That's all supernatural is. It's like it's above the natural. Another definition says it departs from what is usual or normal, especially to appear to transcend the laws of nature. So something that is outside of the laws of nature that you can't explain. You can't scientifically put your finger on it and explain it. So with that being the definition of supernatural, although people can take it to a, a, a weird place and people can do some weird stuff and you have witches and all kinds of stuff, but supernatural is not a bad word in itself. Supernatural means it's above natural. It's something that you can't explain scientifically. So God would be considered supernatural. The things, the miracles he did was considered supernatural. Uh, spirits, demons, all considered supernatural because it's above, above our natural thinking, which you can explain away scientifically. So anyway, when Peter saw um, this transfiguration, we want to read about what Peter said years later about what he saw. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21, it says, 
Now, this is Peter talking. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dear, dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So Peter's talking about that on the Mountain Transfiguration, that episode they had. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. He's talking about what the prophets wrote all through the Bible. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And Christ, the, shine, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Verse 20. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in the scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or, or from human initiative. No. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, I read that from the New Living Translation because I wanted to make it really, really clear of what Peter was saying. So he's telling them, you, you need to know that every those prophets from, from, from old that were prophesying, they weren't doing it on their own. They were speaking words that God told them to speak. So you need to pay close attention to what they were saying. So now the same word that is used, that's used for us, is used for us in Romans chapter 12, verse two. In Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. This is the same word, transfiguration, that they, we just used about Jesus on the mountain. It's telling us, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we said transfigured means to be changed, to be transformed. It's a metamorphosis. So we're going to go through that same metamorphosis, uh, being changed into his image. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And how do we renew our, renew our mind? By praying, by standing before the Lord, by reading his word, because the word is a change agent. That ye may prove, I'm in Romans chapter 2, 12, chapter 12, verse 2. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, we are undergoing the same supernatural change. Being changed into his image, amen. As we yield to the change, when Christ returns, we will be just like him. Another scripture in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15 to 18 says, Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. So there's a veil over the scriptures. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to us. So, you know, some, it's not just enough just to read it, but you have to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to open your eyes so you can see the truths in the scripture. 2 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 16. But when, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away and the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the veil is moved by the spirit. So, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, 
makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. We are undergoing a transformation. We are undergoing a change. Just like Jesus was transfigured on that mountain, we are going to be transfigured. We're going to be transformed. That was out of the New Living Translation as well. So another scripture from the New Living Translation, and this is the last one we'll read, is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So reading right there, that lets us know that, yes, we are undergoing a transformation and a change, but there is something that we have to do. We play a part in this. We have to be willing to change. And here it tells us we literally have to throw off the old sinful nature. You have to put it from you. You can't indulge in it. You have to choose not to indulge in that. And your former way of life, the way we were raised before BC, before Christ, before you accepted Christ into your heart, you might have lived a certain way. Well, you have to throw that off because it's corrupted by lust and deception. Verse 23, I'm in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Now, it's still something they're telling us to do. Put it on. So it's right there for you. Jesus is not going to make you change. He's, he's, he's showing you to change. He's bringing you into change. He's, he's, he's orchestrating situations for you to change. But he's not going to force you to change. You just have to submit to him and willingly want to change your life. It says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So why was, um, why was it Moses and Elijah on, on the mountain with him again. Again, because Moses was the lawgiver. Uh, so he represented the law. And Elijah was the prophet. And, and we've heard all through scriptures. They say about the law and the prophets. What the law and the prophets said. And again, the law kept us until Jesus came. The law showed us that we needed Jesus. Because we could not keep all those rules. We talked about that. And they pointed us to Jesus. If you read Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. So, so the law had a purpose. The law uh, did what it was supposed to do. It was like our guardian, like our, uh, like our teachers watching over us, uh, keeping us until Christ came. It said it protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So Jesus had, God sent something to keep us in line. He knew we couldn't keep the law, but still he, he put some, some kind of a, 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 a ruler there so we, so we wouldn't go too far off the edge, you know, because here we, we had these rules and regulations. We still didn't keep them all, but that's what kept us in line until Jesus Christ was, uh, came so that we could be uh, made right with God through faith. The law gave us some constraints. So it, it harnessed us in. It's like, yeah, okay, that's against the law. You can't go over there. That's against the law. You can't go over there. Even though it wasn't in our nature, you know, we still wanted to do some of that stuff, but the law kept us in. But it could not make us perfect because we were going to have to have the law written in our hearts. Once the law is written in your heart, okay, well, now it becomes a part of you. And you don't do those things, not because there's a bunch of rules and regulations telling you not to do them. You don't do those things because you don't want to do those things because uh, you want to please him. 
because you want to, uh, uh, you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. So God, in all his graciousness, he knows us and he knew that there's no way that we want to be able to keep all those rules and regulations. So he says, I'm going to put my law in their heart. I'm going to help them out. I'm going to put it in their heart so that they won't sin against me because they shall be my people. So God knew just what to do for us. Now, that's why the law was there. So why was the prophets there? Elijah, you had the law representing Moses, and you had Elijah representing the prophets. Elijah must come first. So in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 through 6, it said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So Elijah was supposed to, supposed to come before the great and terrible day to prepare the people for Jesus. Elijah, meaning uh, John the Baptist, represented Elijah. John the Baptist came, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He came as a forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus to get people's hearts turned in the right direction. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 13 through 14, Jesus said, Elijah had already come. Verse 13 says, But before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. Remember I told you everything was pointing toward Jesus. There, uh, there are messianic prophecies or prophecies about the Messiah all through the Old Testament. Uh, at, at some point, we might have a study about that. Uh, but in, all in the Psalms and, and all in Isaiah, there's just prophecies about Jesus where the prophets were talking about Jesus and pointing toward him. So before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is, talking about John the Baptist, the one the prophets... Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 14. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. Talking about John the Baptist. The one the prophet said would come. So Jesus is saying, my forerunner has already come. The one that was supposed to come before me has already come. And that is John uh, the Baptist. He's already come. If you can receive it. So John the Baptist was not Elijah, but he typified Elijah. He was standing in the, in the place of Elijah. Elijah represented the prophets. John the Baptist was a prophet. So yes, he was the last prophet to come. And uh, remember we had a scripture that says there's no greater than uh, John the Baptist that, that had come before him because he was the last one to come just before the Messiah came. Verse, Acts 10 verse 43 says, He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that, Everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Amen. So uh, the mountain of transfiguration and uh, Jesus on the mountain, it was speaking a lot to us, letting us know 
that the law pointed to Jesus and the prophets pointed to Jesus. And now Jesus is here, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Amen. Amen. So if there's anybody out there that has not accepted Christ in your heart, please do so. Uh, I know we've been talking about this earthquake for, for a few days now. Uh, but you never know when your time is up. We never know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's not promised to us. So please accept him into your heart today. Uh, go into my channel, Reading Through the Bible with Elder Linda. There's a playlist that has two videos there. Uh, the one video called The Sinner's Prayer, which is a short version which will lead you to Christ and, and explain to you why you need Jesus in the first place. And also there's a second video on that playlist called Teaching About Salvation, where I give you all the scriptures about your salvation experience. So please accept him today because tomorrow might be too late for you. Amen. Amen. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We honor you. Lord, we appreciate you, Father. We thank you for the privilege to study your word. Father, bless us on today. Bless your people on today, everywhere. Bless those listening, oh God. Father, make us new. Thank you for transforming us and changing us into your image, oh God. Father, you know us. You know our shortcomings. Father, you know everything about us. Lord, and we surrender ourselves to you. We submit to the change. We submit to whatever you need to do to make us like you. I thank you for all those listening, for all those that will listen. Father, that they would yield to the change as you bring it upon them. We thank you, Father, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and I will see you next week.